sweet and balmy members of the Order Carnivora, breed yourself back from the fingertip edge of extinction. Cause a scientific uproar with your black and twisted poo. And, oh, don't you think you're so fancy with your semi-retractable claws? I've seen cooler claws on Santa because it's time to talk tall to me. Welcome back. I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this, for you and for everyone, is Talk Tall to Me. An arboreal hunt through the remote canopies of Prague Rock, in which Nick Mustelid McGill and Omen Omnivore Sade will actively catch and release every single song that sought-after rock band Jethro Tull has ever produced in order to expand their breeding range. We will restrict the trapping and fur trade activities that have limited the mating grounds of David Pegg. We will DNA test the scat left on stage in Northumberland to prove that it was indeed left by Martin Barr. And we will witness the retreat of the invasive gray squirrel population as they come in contact with the expanding territory of special guest Eddie Jobson. And finally, we will invoke the full protection of the Wildlife and Countryside Act of 1981 to protect the glorious and shiny pelt of super predator Ian Anderson. There is he, There are no known predators greater than Ian Anderson. He is apex, and that's why he rules the countryside. That's with a with a with his shiny flute claws. That's right, shiny flute claws. That's the next album. <laughs> Nick, welcome back. Omen, welcome back unto ye. Hello, hello. Before we dive in to the episode, which is an exciting double feature. That it is. I want to tell everyone about mm-hmm. something exciting in my life. Please do. I recently ran out of ink in one of my fountain pens and replaced the old cartridge with a cartridge of sepia ink. And boy, if you have never written with sepia ink, you have been missing out. <laughs> Uh, next Omen's gonna move over from the recliner to a rocking chair, and then, boy, his night is just gonna be just action-packed. <laughs> have a, have a, a glass of Boniva here, and <laughs> it's gonna get wild. All right, Granddad. Uh, let's get into it today. So before we get into the episode, the, into the, the songs at hand, we, uh, we have ourselves a little, uh, some correspondence again. Right. We have ourselves... Not an email, but a YouTube. So, uh, Marley, if you don't mind, could you could you bring me a... Uh... Marley! Marley's off! Oh, Mary. I'm taking over his position for the week. What? You are supposed to be in Florida right now. I hitched a ride on a freight train. They never saw me. That, I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, do you, you, oh, thank you for the email. It is... It smells like it's been on a freight train. That's good. That's Aye. Also, you've got a nasty mole infection in your garden. My brother is a piece of shite when it comes to the moles. A, a mole infection? Is that? A mole infection. I said what I said. Okay. You're right. You're right. You did say that, Mary. Uh, thank you. If you could please go tend to the moles. And if you could teach Marley when he gets back, you know, that would be. Send me your measurements for a moleskin jacket, Master Nick. I, okay. I, I, I will. I will. That explains why things are falling apart around here. Yeah, that's right. That's why you get cold at night, because you don't have anyone to cuddle at your feet. <laughs> and tuck me in. <laughs> tuck you in. Tuck me in with a log. So, Nick, what is this uh, What is this YouTube that we have here? This is a comment on, an, I would say, a rather old episode, all the way back to the mysterious track known as Rainbow Blue. Well, you know what they say, Nick? Everything old is new again. They do say that. Ian says that. This is from Mirset. This is, I, I really wanted to include this because Rainbow Blues is one of those kind of mysterious bonus tracks, and we get some insight here. So Mirset says, Thank you for another great Tull Talk. Next to your sharp analysis, I would like to add a quote about the song from Mr. Anderson himself. Oh, lovely. 
Quote, Rainbow Blues is one of those few songs which is about a real occasion and person. Uh. In the mid-70s, Chrysalis owned the Rainbow Theater in London, and I went there with Shona Leroyd as she was then. What? A little date action here. It wasn't quite our first date, but it was nearly. But no real relationship yet, other than she was somebody who worked at the record company and lived not far from where I was living in the Marleybone area of London, above an Indian restaurant called the Diwan I Am, which has since moved a couple of streets away, in a flat next to a hooker. A quite weird, funky kind of place. Oh. And we went to the Rainbow Theater to see a chap who, when Shona was working at EMI, was a penniless, out-of-work, struggling singer trying to make his name in the pop world, and whom Shona knew as Paul Gadd. We went in through the backstage entrance, past the stage doorkeeper, so afterwards I fantasized a song about wooing a girl on a first proper date. Hmm. So yes, we went to see Gary Glitter at the Rainbow Theater. You didn't expect that story, eh? Oh... There's so much to unpack I there. Know. So Paul Gad is is Gary Glitter, who that's his stage name. He was is is slash was in the seventies and eighties, he was an English glam rock singer. Oh. And he looks pretty fabulous. He looks cool now. Gary? Gary Glitter. So the song Rainbow Blues is the fantasy first date of Ian and Shona, I guess? Question mark? I suppose so. Or it perhaps was a song about, yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the lyrics now. I'm not quite sure how it works, <laughs> how it really works out, other than when the tall, dark lady smiled at me. Yeah, classic first date seeing Gary Glitter song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I wooed Raven. <laughs> With the Gary Glitter concert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yep. The glitter is still... In your clothes. In my clothes. Thank you, Merset, so much. Great, great reference there. I always love those eye-opening moments, even if they leave me even more befuddled. I always love those eye-opening moments when it's for a song like that, like any of the bonus tracks off of War Child, to be honest. They're always, they're all kind of a mystery to me. Absolutely. And for all of you out there, please keep in touch with your tales from the tull. Please keep doing that. Now, to move on to the episode proper, I know last week that we said we were going to cram in and further on into this episode with the two instrumentals. That's right. We have decided to and further not. And further next week. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to do and further on next week. I, uh, I, I kind of lost sleep after we talked about it last week. Well, the last recording. And and I, I confessed to Omen it very early in the morning. I sent him a text. I was like, should we break up these episodes? He's like, yeah, whatever, dude. It's fine. <laughs> so so I changed the, the Excel spreadsheet and we're good. <laughs> you changed the Excel spreadsheet, Nick? Wow, you really I, I are did. serious. It's commitment. It's commitment. Well, with that out of the way, what do we have the pleasure of listening to and subsequently talking to all about this week? We will be starting with the Pine Martins jig which is the penultimate track off of the album, I believe, off of A. It sure is. So it is our second to last track off of A. It is uh, track number nine. Mm-hmm. According to my notes here, it was recorded around May 22nd, 1980 at Poplis with the Maison Rouge mobile studio. Take Six was our master here. And who is on the mandolin but David Pegg? Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, Nick, I wanted to share a thought that I had with you while I was running the other day. Running away from David Pegg? That's right. The thought <laughs> goes like this. Ah! Why did I start doing this in the first place? <laughs> no, the thought goes, you know... I was thinking of this on my run because I was listening to one of our episodes and we were talking about how, oh, isn't it curious that on this album, it's the later takes which end up being used for the, yeah. the album. Yep. Well, it occurred to me, well, of course that makes sense. It's a whole new group of musicians. Sure, Working right. together for the first time, you know, excluding Ian and Martin, who are yeah. the only people who had worked together before, and, and a little bit with Dave Pegg because he yeah. toured with them. It's really a whole new group. So, of course, it's going to take a little bit longer each take to get the sound that you want. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious to go back and look at 
Well, I think Stormwatch was kind of rocky too during the recording. So let's go back one more and look at Heavy Horses. It was probably like first or second take. I think it'd be interesting to do a little comparison. Yeah. But in lieu of that, shall we have a listen to Pine Martin's Jig? Yeah. Yeah, let us. Pine away. Oof, who needs, who needs, was it nitroglycerin if you have a bad heart? Who needs a nitroglycerin pill? You can just listen to that. Isn't that stuff highly explosive? It is. And it is. so is this song. That it is. Don't drop this song on a cement floor. You or will you'll, you'll blow, blow it up. It up. Yeah. Goodness. Nick, some observations about this song. Are you telling me that you have some? Or are, Who are you, you? Are you requesting some? Yeah. Do you have any? Do you? Have, what are your just just thoughts about this song, Nick? It's a heck of a rocker. It is our most our most traditional sounding song off of the album. Yep. I was going to definitely point that out. It's it's almost an echo of of the past. It's almost an echo of Heavy Horses or Songs yeah. from the Wood in terms yeah. of its style. And it's really delightful to hear that kind of stuff. And funnily enough, the element that really connects it with that is. Eddie Jobson with the violin. It's interesting. Yeah, it's it's got that that flavor of the present or future. You know, it's it's kind of it's a new it's a new paint job on an old car is what it is. Oh, interesting. It's a new it's a new turbo in a in a car that shouldn't have one. That's right. Yeah, I put it's this turbo road legal in a jalopy. Speaking of turbos and jalopies. Last week was four-wheel drive. I'm just thinking about four-wheel drive. So we have four-wheel drive. We have Pine Martin's Jig and then And Further On. It's a real, it's an interesting progression. I feel like in terms of the B-side of this album, you know, we've had some quite modern, quite funky stuff. I feel like Pine Martin's Jig acts as a really delightful uh, sorbet to cleanse the palate before moving into and further on, which which is a, a significant departure from the the tone of the rest of the album. So I think it almost you almost need the Pine Martin's jig to to kind of set yourself up for something really different. I don't know if it's just because this is this I I know the progression of the songs, like I know what song comes next. So it see it feels like it fits to me. But it it feels like it works, even though it, you kind of don't think it would. That such a, a very fast paced, frenetic song is followed by the slowest song off of the album. It's it's very curious, very curious choices, but they work really well together. Well, you know, I think people like contrast. I think if you're if you're having, you know, if you're if you're a dessert maker, what's the rule? You always want you want you always want a, a a sponge and then something crunchy to go along with it. You don't want it to all be the same texture, or your mouth gets bored when you're eating it. If you can swing it, make a crunchy sponge. I guess a crunch, a crunch. Everybody, everybody, yeah. everybody, crunch. <laughs> but I I I I agree that it's. I agree with whatever you said when I wasn't listening. And yeah. and I and I agree that this song works super well in this slot on the album, and I'm delighted that it's here. I think it it is the album is better for it. Yes, I agree. I agree. It it is it is that departure of sound, like you said, and it's it's that it's that contrast not only between and further on and this song, but but of the, the album as a whole. It is it is such a very unique sound between. Th- these two, the, this one and next week's, it's such a very unique sound between those two compared to what we've heard throughout. It's nice. Indeed. It's nice. Nick, tell me, what is a Pine Martin? It's when Martin Barr really wants something mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. He just won't stop looking out the window. He pines for it. Yeah. So funnily enough, there are Martins both in North America and in Europe. He does tour over here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ah. It's a it's a mustelid, so it's related to ferrets, weasels, stoats, other things that I'm forgetting. And but significantly, it has semi-retractable claws, allowing it to go up into trees. 
whereas whereas most ferrets, stoats, weasels, and things like that can't climb very much. Do, are their claws are not retractable at all? Correct. They are. They're more like a dog's. Whereas the pine marten, they can go in and out. They're sort of. Oh. They're sort of almost like a cat's. Yeah, I was going to say that's. Cats can climb trees except for cheetahs who cannot retract their claws. Because they don't have the ability to retract. Because what you want when you're climbing a tree is like claw when you want, not when you don't. (laughs) It's good to have the option. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to be stuck all the way one way or the other. Always go both ways is something I've learned in life. I like it. It's great. So the pine marten hunts arboreally in trees. Its diet consists of birds, frogs, eggs. Um, little mammals, the occasional nut, fruit, a little bit of honey. And they, interestingly, during the time when this song was written, their range had really retracted. They they once were very common throughout the British Isles. Uh, the, around the early 80s, they had really, they were endangered because they their fur is highly prized in some uh, areas. Sure, sure. Because if you look at a picture of them, you just want to cuddle it. You want to cuddle it. And if you can't cuddle it, at least wear it as as a coat. I guess. Exactly, because they are not very cuddly by nature, I think, because of the aforementioned semi-retractable claws <laughs> and yes. arboreal lifestyle. That's that, yeah. So, so it's really, it's the human's fault. Like, we need to adapt to a semi-arboreal lifestyle, and then we could cuddle. A we mark. should grow our own fur. I think, I think you're right. Think and you're believe right. me, I'm trying as hard as I can. <laughs> Is that what that that noise is? <laughs> but around this time, there was starting to be the the awareness that like, oh, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't hunt these animals to extinction. Maybe we should try to set aside land for them and stop encroaching upon their breeding grounds. Yeah. And um, and now they have re-expanded throughout a lot of England, and they're even in Wales, um, rarely sighted in in Ireland, but but uh, they've expanded their range quite a bit. Speaking of, can I give you a little a little quotey poo from Ian here? Oh, I hope that you will. Commence quotey poo. So he says this is quite tricky to play for everyone, obviously. But when he was asked, "What are you trying to invoke by by the terms of the the how the instruments are being played?" You know the instrumentation. He says this is a quick darting movement. Mm. So I thought of the pine martin because it's nicer than a stoat or a ferret. The pine martin's jig sounded better than the stoat jig or the weasel reel. <laughs> and the Pine Martin is in the Highlands of Scotland. Yes. Yes, indeed. And and on the Isle of Skye. Yeah. So so some more some more very local even though it's even though he's not singing about anything, you know, he's at least naming the song about a a very local thing to him that is personal. Well, and how lovely. You know, how often in rock and roll do you get this kind of memodynamic approach where it's like, I'm thinking of this quick darting motion almost like a native mustelid such as a stota weasel or a pine martin. Let's create a song that will encompass and and develop those motions, that natural movement in rock music. Yeah, what came first? Like, should we... We're doing a Jethro jig. Tull or the Pine Martin. <laughs> it's it's debatable, actually. Yeah, uh, there are two camps: Flat Earth and Pine Martin. But like, did did they say, "Oh, we want to do a jig"? Let's let's shape it this way, and then it fell into the Pine Martin thing. Or did he see a Pine Martin? Or did he did he just have the idea to do something this quick, this frenetic? Then he decided, "Oh, let's do a jig." You know, who let knows? me just check. Um, Actually, this is interesting. This is the only track on the album that is credited to a Pine Martin. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so so credit so where he credit talked. Is due. He talked to a Pine Martin about this, but I do think it's Pine. interesting. You know, you know, even perhaps Ian didn't would disagree with this, or or would have disagreed with this at the time. But I think it does fit into the broader one of the broader themes of Ian's life's work, which is conservation and environmentalism. Just an awareness, aware, an awareness of your surroundings and the, the consequences of being in living in, in an area where you have an effect on your environment. Absolutely. And an appreciation for the, the mysterious creatures of, of the world around you. Yeah. It's, 
It's so funny thinking about like really any time I've ever seen an interviewer or heard an interviewer or even heard Ian talking, it's always so like kind of clipped and reserved. So to think that there's anything that he's like really passionate about to like <laughs> to, still to, waters run deep. Yeah, yeah, it's it that's got to be it that that he he's clearly driven by things. We know that. We know we know we've got a plenty of lists of things that he's he's passionate about, but it's it's there's still a disconnect whenever I think about like I want to see him I want to see the subject that that makes him get impassioned. Well, and I know? think I think that his passion comes through in his performances. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He reserves it for that. Somebody, I I forget who it was. Maybe it was Chaplin. I always bring up Chaplin. But somebody said, oh, you know, well, we, we want to really get to know you in this interview. And he said, well, if you want to get to know me, just don't interview me. Just watch my films. Huh. Yeah. And it's that same, it's that same sort of thing of like, I already, I already have told you who I am. Right. Yeah. That's who, who that is who I am. Do you want to do you want to know my favorite Chaplin quote? <laughs> sure. <laughs> what is it? Oh, hilarious because he's a silent actor. That's it, yeah. Very, very funny. I thought you were gonna say, I swear, officer, she said she was 16. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny too, yeah. Mine was a little cleaner for the family audience, but yep. so we know what a Pine Martin is. I think it's time we talk about what a jig is. Yeah, so a jig is, um, amongst other things, there are multiple definitions of a jig. But if we go to the, if we go to the website of the Royal Scottish Country Dance Society, yeah, it defines a jig as a quick, lively dance tune with a six-eight time signature and played in compound time. Okay. Yeah, I see. I see. It could be twelve eight. It could be six. So a double jig is six eight. Mm-hmm. A slip jig is nine, nine eight, and a single jig is twelve. It doesn't make any sense, but, but yes, it's a it's a dance tune. It's a country tune. It was wildly popular in the 16th century in the court of Elizabeth I, uh, and it has enjoyed a, a longevity not enjoyed by many other dance forms. I would say. Except the Dougie. Except, indeed, the Dougie. (sighs) However, this song is not what I would call a traditional jig because the time signature is um, all over the place. I don't I don't know what the time signature is or or if or if he or even if it has a resting time signature, it really seems to to go in and out with lots of different switches and, and accidental measures. Yeah. And the effect is. As Ian said, difficult to play and a delight to listen to, and not unlike a weasel running through the trees. A tree weasel. <laughs> a treasel. I think that I think that brings up a really good point that I, I wanted to to go back to. You gave us like the definition of jig. I think it's kind of kind of expanded to be a more mm. general term here at this point. That anything that's like that really quick, frantic, you feel like your your feet are tapping. A quick and lively dance. Yeah. Yeah, a exactly. Quick- and lively weasel. I should hope so. Yeah. A lethargic and oozing weasel. A stoat played in 6-8 time. <laughs> Your classic 6-8 stoat. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so shall we actually talk music on this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, specifically, we have, we have as we've mentioned, we have some tr- more traditional uses of instruments. Uh-huh. The mandolin. <laughs> have some the flute kind of playing the role of the traditional penny whistle yep type instrument we have the violin really in a delightful register for this song yeah Eddie jobson is is really tapping into the the feeling of of traditional fiddle playing even in his updated modern way yeah yeah, we we also see the instruments. It's very quick, but we do see the instruments be, get layered in, like we we're accustomed to. With, yes, with tall and and they all take a little turn. Yeah, which is which is traditional in this kind of format where you have, you know, and now the mandolin comes in for a couple of measures, and now yeah. the violin comes in for a little bit, and then the flute. Yeah, I think 
And and we have a layering of these instruments a couple of times. I think I hear either a, f- a second flute or a piccolo. I'm not sure. Mm. I think I hear two mandolins. It was very hard to tell. There's a lot going on. It's hard to I, dissect yeah. it listening to it. I'm pretty sure I hear another violin as well. One one is the the Eddie like oh that is clearly an electric violin, but one is is a little it's a little more reserved. It doesn't sound so so synthy. It's it's almost got a fiddle sound to it. It could be that it's the same electric violin on different settings. Th- that's my thought. Yeah, we also know that he has more than one violin. Yeah, and. Oh, and the, I don't know if I mentioned the drums. The drums come in. They're really solid and strong in this. But the the one, the thing that stands out to me in this is the bass. The bass is really incredible. Yeah, I think it's that this is the... so bassy. This is the first time in this album where I'm like, oh, that's David Pegg's sound. Yeah. Like, that's where I'm hearing him come through his bass the most. And maybe... He was just letting loose a bit. This, aside from when, like, Martin comes in and and melts your face off. Which I want to talk about in a second. Yes. Aside from that, I could see this being, even even with Eddie's, like, really, like, electric-sounding violin, I could see this as a traditional sound except for that bass. Now, I don't know if it's mixing. I don't know if it's... It's Dave's specific style, or maybe it's it's just his bass, you know, because di- different instruments will produce a different sound. But mm. it's it's such an electric sound. It's so very distinct that fits in perfectly with the rest of this album. But on this song, it feels a little, feels like a sore thumb a little bit. I'm not saying it's bad. Interesting. Yeah. But his he is so very distinct in this song. I think it sort of keeps us keeps us with one foot in modernity. Oh, sure, yeah. So it doesn't become, you know, a total throwback fantasy. Yeah, throwback Thursday fantasy. I think, I think that's that's pretty valid. I think that's pretty good. I don't think it was a mistake. I don't think it was coincidence. I mean, I think there's reasoning behind that of of having it so bass forward, so heavy, with that really distinct sound that Dave has. It. I also wonder. And we obviously don't know, but yeah. is there a difference between the original mix of it and the Steve Wilson yeah. remaster of this yeah. track in terms of the bass heaviness? Or does it come down to our specific headphones? If you play in a car, might it sound differently? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Was this engineered for sound producing devices that they had at the time? I have the original album. And I have the Steve Wilson remaster album. I should go listen to them. I That's a really curious thing. You should put them both in a room. Yeah. Okay. Play them at the same time. Okay. Attach to each of them mm-hmm. a weasel. Yep. Have the weasels fight to the death. Okay. Whichever one wins by virtue of its viciousness in battle, that's yeah, the right one. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like when you duel... And you both think that God is on your side. Well, yeah. God is obviously on the side of the one who wins. God is on the side of my weasel. That's, I, I saw that written on a bathroom stall. By God on my weasel. <laughs> now, I, w- I do want to talk about Mr. Martin Lancelot Barr. So, yeah. I never realized, Nick, until today, because spelling is something that I don't have a particular interest in. It has been a sore, it has been a thorn in my side ever since I was aware of its existence. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I didn't realize that there was a difference in the spelling of Martin and Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I I spelled it in my notes, I spelled it as as the name, as T-I-N, Martin. Yeah. So... Martin Barr is spelled M-A-R-T-I-N, and Pine right. Martin is M-A-R-T-E-N. Right. Right. Because it comes from the Latin martes. Right. It is it is the martis martis, which so means... The, the smartest martist. The smartest martist. But even so, is there not a... Is there not a bit of a tongue-in-cheek 
double entendre that this is the Pine Martin Bar's jig. Or Martin's gig. I, w- I want it to be. I think it is, because I think that of all the instruments, Martin is the one who lets loose the most in this song and has the most out front time. I think that this song, whether it was intended to be this way or not, and maybe just because of the silly overlap and the sound of the titles of the names, uh-huh. I think that this is really a, a Martin Barr framing great, you know, great kind of show off piece. Because listen to the way that he just goes for it on the electric guitar. We haven't heard that level of brashness from him in a while. But when when he's not there, I can't hear him at all. I agree. But that even increases the effect of it, I think. Yeah. It's like we're setting up the super traditional tune and now Martin steps forward, lights go down a little bit on everyone else, and he gets to just go to town on the guitar. Here, let me set the stage and spotlights up. It's Martin Barr. Right. Which, okay. appropriate appropriate to this to this moment in time as well, because it's like, you know, Ian has obviously had the spotlight for so long, as he deserves, uh-huh. but Martin has been with the band since the very almost the very beginning. And to me, this strikes me as a little, a little Martin appreciation moment. And didn't we have one? We had one just really recently that was clearly an Eddie song. Absolutely. So, so maybe that's what we're seeing here. And with traditional music, you know, that this is referencing, you do it. There is, you know, whenever you see like a live jazz band or something like that, not that that's, I guess that's traditional music as well. But, you know, if you go and see any kind of a live band that's that's playing in any kind of a format, you know, that's not like a rock band, basically. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I know. I know what you're going. You know, for, you, yeah. you, you know, you know what I'm saying. Then the lead will always say, "Hey, and we've got got Thummy Wilson on the bass, and we've got Three Foot Jimmy over there on the piano. Let's give him a hand." Yeah. But this is spread out uh, over the album, as opposed to a single song. Indeed. Essentially, yeah. Okay. Fun fact: the the name Martin is probably a shortening of the obsolete Martinet from French. Oh. oh. St. Martin of Tours, who is celebrated at Martinmas. 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 When is that? That's lovely. Martinmas is November 11th, St. Martin's Day. Wow. That's great. Well, yeah, I think of St. Martin in the Fields. That's a church in England. Oh. There's an island called Martinique, I think. Mm-hmm. Anything else about Pine Martin's Jig? I'm a fan. I like it. It's fun. It's good. I actually am a fan of Mustelids in general. Yep. I had a couple of ferrets when I was young. You are actually just a burlap sack filled with them. That's, hey, hey, I told you that in confidence. Secret's out. Sorry, guys. Now you can tell by the smell. (laughs) Oh, my God. Ferrets are so stinky. They sure are. They're adorable. Everywhere. Yeah. What is the next prey which we will drag wriggling down to our burrows and consume? We will consume the only bonus track off of this album. It is Lock Korowisk. Was that offensive? I'm sorry. Is it actually Lock Korowisk? No, it's Korowisk. Ah, Korowisk. Nick, either I just took too much ketamine or we've just listened to Korowisk. They are not mutually exclusive, Omen. That's true. That's true. (laughs) But these days I like to do just one or the other. One or the other. That is a six and a half minute song. Wow. That is, correct me if I'm wrong, that's a new song for you? I've never heard it before. So in that sense, it is a new song for me. (laughs) 
Thank you. Every time I forget that that exists, yep. and every time I'm delighted. It's been a long time since we had one of these, so I, I, I wanted to make sure I got it in there. So, Nick, how long have you known about Coral Whisk? How long have you listened to, to it? I mean, I knew when it was released. I think it's been uh, two years now at this point since okay. the, the remaster of A came out. But before we listened to, before we approached this album, I didn't really like A. Sure, I remember that. So that that one single bonus track was not enough to have me keep going back to it. Right. So I, I listened to it, but I think I've only heard it like two or three times before this. And this is certainly the first time that I've heard it with, with the really good headphones. So I, I could be like really immersed in it. Yeah. So what are what are your first thoughts? It's one of those tracks where I probably need to listen to it a couple more times to really develop Def- an opinion of yeah. it. Definitely, But yes. on, on the face of it, I can see why it wasn't included on this album. Thematically sound-wise? Or... No, not even so much that. Just because it's... I think that the the other songs that are not instrumentals are better choices than Kara Whisk. Okay. And the other instrumental is much more delightful and palatable for a general audience. Okay. If you're going to put another song on the album, you'd have to, I mean, you know, it's back in the days of the vinyl, you'd have to take another one off. You don't, you can't do, um, you know, you can't just release a CD with however many songs you want. Right. Right. Or or a, a digital album. Yeah. Or a digi app. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what they called them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you had you had literal physical real estate that you needed to be aware of on on both sides of the the album. Yeah. So, but I think it's fascinating. I think it's you know it's really there's a lot going on. It's very complex. Mm-hmm. It is not an easy song to to digest yeah. off the bat. Yeah, uh, and I think it's definitely it's definitely like way on the on the the proggier end of the spectrum, which is great. I love that. Yeah, I was just going to say it's super proggy. It's super proggy with the the time changes and the the theme changes. Oh and yeah, the the sweeping in and out, and then after we've been introduced to to the two sets of themes, they they start to weave them together and they they jot them in and out. You know what? Okay, so let's pull back for a second and and acknowledge that Korowisk is a place on the Isle of Skye that we'll, we will undoubtedly talk more about in a moment. Yes. But just knowing that it's about a place, this song strikes me as... Nick, are you familiar with the term tone poem? It sounds vaguely familiar. So tone poem is a, it's a kind of... It's a form of orchestral music. Okay. And it's usually a single movement rather than a, you know, rather than a, a three-parter. Uh-huh. And it typically is meant to to express a short story or a landscape or a painting or something visual. It was, it was used by Franz Liszt oh. and a number, a number of other composers, but it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's like a visual, it's like a, it's like an aural painting. Okay, sure. And it's sort of knowing that, that the song, that this piece is about a particular spot in Scotland on the Isle of Skye, it strikes me as having that quality to it. It's almost like a flyover, kind of a cinematic musical representation yeah. of this place. I I wholeheartedly agree. Like I get, particularly in the start of it, you know, I get that that kind of old world, mythical, mystical, eerie echo feel of just like standing. Oh, yes standing at the lock and you just like look i mean just go go look at lock Korowisk on wikipedia and look at the picture i mean you just see these you you see literally the coolins the black coolins right so for those of you who haven't spent the last 15 minutes frantically googling <laughs> lock Korowisk is a lake in on the isle of sky in scotland it is one of scotland's most inaccessible lakes, one of the most remote lakes, which mm. is saying something. Yeah. And it has no roads that lead to it. It does lead into the sea, so it's a it's an it's a freshwater lake, but it it then drains into the sea, so you can 
actually sail into it from the sea, I believe. Right. You, I think you have to navigate a small river accessible by boat from Elgol. Or on foot by the Sligacon. Right, which is like almost a 10-mile walk. Yeah. Part of, part of the path is called the Bad Step. <laughs> the, that's a really big step. <laughs> and it's all bad. It's all bad. Korowisk means, means cauldron of waters. Uh-huh. Lovely. Very cool. Very cool. A little bit of callback to previous album. Loch Korowisk is reputed to be the home of a Kelpie. It sure is. How exciting. And reading the descriptions of it, it does seem to be one of those places that, partly due to its remoteness, but also partly due to the, the sheer impressiveness of the natural landscape, kind of casts an awe onto the people who witness it. Yeah. And strong feelings are often translated into mythical creatures. Beautifully put. Absolutely. You got to explain, you got to explain it somehow. And more often than not, it wasn't just a matter of, wow, that is just epically gorgeous. It was yeah. like, oh, there's something in the water. That's it's right. Yeah. In our minds. How many times have I cursed the horny weasel? <laughs> the Pine Martin. Yeah. The, the Pine Martin of lust. <laughs> we have some, we have some quotes, some, some, uh, some quotes from literature. Okay. Should we read them? Sure. About, about Loch Korowisk? Oh, yeah, with those too. Oh, okay. Is this from your autobiography? <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, the sex weasel. Uh, How semi-retractable its claws uh, are. Sir Walter Scott visited in 1814 okay. and wrote, Rarely human eye has known a scene so stern as that dread lake. We should find out if Walter Scott's English or Scottish. He's Scottish. Oh, thank goodness. Rarely human eye has known a scene so stern as that dread lake with its dark ledge of barren stone. That sounds suitably awe-inspiring. Yep. Tennyson, Lord Tennyson, who was English, said, Loch Corowisk said to be the wildest scene of the Highlands. I failed in seeing... After a fatiguing expedition over the roughest ground on a wet day, we arrived at the banks of the loch and made acquaintance with the extremist tiptoes of the hills, all else being thick, wool-white fog. Ooh, and you, you don't want to go walk in the Scottish Highlands in the fog. Well, and I think that the fog is relevant to some of the structure of the of the song itself, and that's why I sure. wanted to read those, those quotes. Okay. Thinking of it as a tone poem... Whether it is or not, you know, right. I think taking that approach, if you take some of these visual elements that we've already heard about from classic literature, this dark ledge of barren stone, mm. sternness, dread, thick white wool, fog, roughest ground, extremist tiptoes. I mean, it's all, all the language being used is this, is hyperbole. Yeah. Yep. And the song itself is hyperbole as well. That first yeah. section, or is hyperbolic, you could say. That first section is, mm. as you described, so light and mysterious yeah. and sparse and uses just a, you know, a little bit of disharmony. Really, it really does paint a picture. Like tone, tone poem is perfect for this song. Yeah, it gives you a feeling. It gives you this feeling of you know, oh, what what is this space? Kind of the awe of it. And then when the the rock section drops in, uh -huh. 
that's where I get the maybe it's a bit too obvious, but like you know the 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 coolins and this these extreme mm. craggy yeah lifts of rock and the danger. You know, people who've written about it describe the uh, a f- a feeling of being physically in danger by visiting it because the ground is just so treacherous. And oh yeah. it's a matter of like oh that's too obvious or not i think that i think it's i think it's spot on and i think it is it is perfectly illustrated by the the music that they created and it's it's if you don't know what Korowisk is it it doesn't it certainly doesn't paint it for you you know you got to know the context at least so it's not like handing it to you it just it really does accentuate uh, the image that you already have. Speaking of paintings, uh, a number of paintings have been inspired by the lock. The lock has been painted by... Which Turner is that? Tina. Oh, yeah. By William Turner, one of my favorite British painters. Okay. Richard Percy and William Daniel. And you can see why. If you take a look at any of their paintings, it's it's like a cool scene. It really does look like something out of the Lord of the Rings or or something like that. It's very it's a very extreme landscape. Funny you say Lord of the Rings, that first like minute of of the the like the just the flute just echoing, you know. Yes. Reminds me so much and I know I just mentioned this a couple episodes ago, but it reminds me so much of the opener to the Rankin Bass Hobbit. Oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally. This kind of they just they they do an occasional piano or Bilbo Baggins. Uh yes. I am looking to hire a burglar. Burglar? I'm afraid you've come to the wrong place. Beneath his feet, beneath the moon. We must away every of day. Could you imagine how cool it would have been if Peter Jackson had read our strongly worded letters and contracted Ian Anderson to compose all the music for the Lord of the Rings trilogy cinematic version? Oh, my gosh. You know, I I would love for that to have happened, but we've seen a a serious track record of of Ian being even considered to to do a, a song for something and he never gets it. Botanic Man. Mm. Oh, there was another one. Oh, Coronach was for the BBC. There were, I think there was a couple more. But like anything that he did outside of Tull just didn't go anywhere. And I really wish it had. It's not too late. It's not too late, Ian. A Feckless Momes production of The Lord of the Rings featuring the music of Ian Anderson. <laughs> oh my God. That is a cornucopia of bad ideas. <laughs> Never has so little been spent by so few on such a poor idea. Okay, so we so we start with piano, we get into bass, flute, electric. It opens up instantly after about a minute. Then we get into that we get into a time where it slows down again and we get introduced to the second of our themes. That first opener isn't really a theme, I would say. So we we go from the slow startup first theme, which is the crazy hectic. Then we slow down into a nice second theme. It it almost has a Mike Oldfield feel to me. I don't think you know Mike Oldfield. He did tubular bells. He does a lot of like ambient. Well, it's not really ambient. He does a lot of like instrumental stuff from the 70s, 80s.
Well, you know, you know what I did notice in this song was the use of the marimba. Oh, or some kind of a some kind of a, a struck bell sound. Oh yes, I think it's like a sleigh bell. It's something like that. It's something. It's some kind of a malleted bell tone, and maybe it's a th- mm. maybe it's a synth setting. Oh, that's po- always possible on a. Do Do you know for a fact what it is? No, no. I have no idea. Then it could be synth. Then, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> when in doubt, probably it was the synth. Probably synth. <laughs> Speaking of the synth, there's a very there's a sound in this piece that that to me sounds very dated. In that first section, the really slow, mysterious section. Mm-hmm. The piano has a re, which is again probably the synth, has a reverb on it, uh-huh. which is so consistently mathematically. It's like note, and it instantly makes. I mean, it just instantly takes me back to the eighties. That's I. I never thought to dissect it so precisely but that's a really interesting point because you know the reverb is intended to mimic the natural vibrations of sound in a space right and it's in no way is it perfect like that uh, well unless now you're it's pretty close but unless you're time, playing in a dome you know right exactly yeah. exactly so at the time it was yeah it's just kind of a funny thing yeah manufactured ma- manufactured hollowness yeah the thing that strikes me so strongly with this song is the contrast of we were talking about contrast in the last song, but yeah. the contrast of the the really quiet, mysterious sections with those extremely frenetic uh, other sections, almost like a yeah. like a stone rolling down the hillside of a mountain. You know, yeah. where it just it's rumping off of things. It's like it's like a it's like a it's like a washing basket full of weasels dumped down the yeah. stairs. You just you know it's completely. So much going on, so much movement. Yeah, no turning back. You just you you might as well just just move out. You, you might as well move out. <laughs> You've got an infestation of weasels. You'll never get all those weasels back in the basket, as they say. I proposed to my wife with weasels, and they are still in my clothes. That's it. Was it worth it though? Oh yeah, yeah. Would she have not accepted had you not used a weasel? I was thinking about going the. A lower cost version and using stoats, but you know it's gonna be a it's gonna be a day you uh, you remember forever. So I sprung for the weasels. She'll know the difference. Oh and yeah, she, she'll know you. Oh, didn't and if the she bill. won't, her friends will. <laughs> this sounds like a, a sounds like a, a diamond ring commercial. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow, Nick. Anything yeah. else to say about Carwisk? No, I I think I enjoyed it more than you did. It it may be because I've heard it a couple of times more, so I wasn't going in completely like. Out of nowhere. You could tell that I faked it. Yeah, I could tell. I could tell. It was um, just heavy breathing. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, <sighs> I, I do like the song. It's a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun in the sense that it kind of, it's like, it's like they played the Pine Martins jig, but in the style of A, almost. That's interesting. Yeah. It, in a way, I think that Pine Martin's Jig is a better fit for the album. I agree. Because Korowisk is so much like the rest of the album, in a way. Yeah, it's more of the same, sure. And it, just by virtue of it being instrumental, does not does not make it different enough to be that palate cleanser that you were talking about earlier for Pine Martin's Jig. Right. Yeah. So that's it for our two instrumentals. Thank you so much. Omen, next week, this is an answer you can actually give me. What are we doing next week? Next week, Nick, we are listening to the final track on the album of A. I can't believe it's been 
we're at the end of it. It is And Further On. That's right. We are on that final track. It was a quick one. Quick one this time around. Next one's going to be a long one. But, but a, a, a is here and gone, as is this episode this week. Until next week, mm. you can do a jig right on over to Patreon and drop us $5 to get access to bonus episodes and the Discord. End of sentence. I know it didn't sound like an end, a period mm-hmm. there, but... <laughs> Rarely human eye has known a scene so stern as five stars that you can give us as a rating on... Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And uh, head on over to our T Public page and buy yourself some Talk Told to Me merch. We just added a new shirt design. It's old at this point by the time you've heard this, but go on over. My beautiful and talented wife has made a t shirt design based on a request by Jupson, a Patreon member. Mm-hmm. It is based on the song Requiem. So, you know, that just shows you, Nick. You can, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the Discord chat, and you can join for the low, low price of $5 a month. And maybe we will open up more design requests in the future. Who knows? The only way you'll know is if you join our Patreon. There you go. Until next week, Nick, I am the shortest river in England, Omen Said. And I am the aquatic horse beast that lives within you, Nick McGill. (laughs) That was good. We are the ravenous mustelids leaping from treetop to treetop, the feckless momes. And this is the arboreal habitat welcoming you into our leafy arms. Talk tall to me. Angus, thank you for meeting me here. I uh, I really want this date to be perfect. Aye, will you come to the right place by coming to Corowisk House? Aye, I'm a bonny laddie. Aye, your, your lassie is a lucky, lucky girl to be marrying you here. And you couldn't ask for a nicer wedding than here in the fabulous Lach Corowisk. Tell, tell me why it's such a good place to have the wedding. I mean, I see a lot of fog. I smell the sea. Give, paint the picture for me about how beautiful this place can be. Let me tell you the number one reason. I look deep into your eyes. Please do. Oh, your eyes like two pools of liquid. And I see in them that you probably hate your parents. Well, that, that's, that's true, probably, for most people from my generation. But y- yeah, I, I can see that. But what's that have to do with my wedding? No one over the age of 40 can get to Corowisk without breaking their legs. Oh. It's sheerly parent-proof. No one over the age of 40 has ever been here. It's a youthster's paradise. We've got the Tic Tac. We've got Pop Rocks, imported fresh daily from the Highlands. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I love it. Do you know who got married here? Uh. Brittany Spears. Was it really? I, I never would have guessed. Hey, you can see our handprint on the on the curlins right over there. The dent of the rock is where she dropped her baby. So, if I decide to to have the reception here at Horowisk House, what what's the type of food that we can have for the reception? Oh well, you know I see by looking at your at your uh, at your crop top that you're a man who likes to keep trim. Hey, no worries about fattening up. The, the married couple here, you get rock bisque with rock pepper, rock sourdough, rock juniper, and rock pear for dessert. It sounds like it'll be a bit difficult on the uh, on the teeth. You're saying rock, right? Oh, yes, no one ever eats it. It's all rocks. Oh, okay, okay, all right. But with enough whiskey, you won't mind. Oh, do you, do, do you have whiskey from perhaps a, a, a nearby distillery? Let me tell you a little secret, my wee bairn. Tell, tell me. Have you ever supped 
The liquid from the lake of cauldrons. I can't say that I have. Taint me water now, me bully boy. Tis, tis the water of life itself. Tis Okovit. Tis all whiskey. That sounds very detrimental to the wildlife, but uh, but it sounds like a great time. I know I look like I'm 70 years old, but I'm only 17. I don't, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Are you trying to convince me? <laughs> One simple put will age you 10 years. I, I'm starting to rethink it. Two really... sips will take you back round when you're a baby. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Angus, you've sold me. I'd like to book my reception for my wedding here. Now before you get out, before you get into your sporing and give me your, your gold paces, I've got to warn you of the ancient legend of the lock. Do tell me. Well, you know, that Brit Tennyson, damn him, came here once and fled in terror for his life. And his hair was said to have turned white after that day. And do you know why? What he wrote backwards with his left hand in his most private journal in invisible ink made out of his own urine. I can only begin to imagine. What is it, Angus? Tell me, tell me. He looked deep into the lake and he said, By the very gods themselves, I do declare... The talk tall to me as a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. Ha ha! Tis I the Kelpie! Ow, ow, 